it's either really cool or really creepy, depending on where you're at on this whole thing. <laughs> the, uh, this is one of the great transformations that you will see in, in, in all of creation, right? Is you have uh, these caterpillars, which are essentially uh, uh, pests, right? That everybody wants to keep out, right? They're these things that destroy crops. So we, um, over the quarantine, uh, we built a, a garden at our house. And so, you know, we put a fence around it, raised beds and all that. And, uh, you know, the constant fight is to try to keep the pests out. You want to keep them out uh, from eating up all the, all the stuff. In fact, we have like a little, um, you, we put copper tape around the beds because copper tape, apparently if a slug hits the copper tape, it like gives them an electrical jolt and then they go the other way. And so our kids have been like looking for slugs. They're like, I want to put it, I think they want to see if like they can make it spontaneously combust or something like that. But, but so you just caught, you see these pests, these things that are like consumers and they're out to destroy. And then all of a the sudden they go into the cocoon, they go into this hidden place. And when they come out, they become one of the most beautiful things that we have in all of nature. And in fact, everybody wants to see more butter Butterflies. We've actually planted right outside of the same garden that I'm talking about. We've planted two bushes. They're called butterfly bushes, and they're supposed to attract butterflies. So here you hit, literally in one moment, you're got, trying to keep this animal, this thing, not animal, I don't know what it is, insect thing, this thing outside of your garden. And then all of a sudden, now you're going, that same organism, you're going, no, we're inviting it. There's this massive transformation that takes place. And I think this transformation is this incredible picture that we have going on right now in our world. So we have, let me just, we have the more giant picture, right? Where uh, we all were, if you will, caterpillars, consumers, only wanted our own way. Uh, what the scripture calls in Ephesians chapter two, it says, every one of us was dead in our mess. We were an absolute abject mess. But what the scripture says is Jesus came and he made you brand new. He took you in because of what he did on the cross and made us something completely different. So he took us from becoming, he took us from being caterpillars, if you will, to becoming butterflies. We've been totally transformed and made new. So we have that big picture, but I'd say there's been a, a more specific moment that we've been in where we've been literally placed into a physical cocoon called quarantine where we had to go away and stay away from the world around us. And, and we had to be very careful about where we could go. And so we've had to go into these cocoons of our homes and the reemergence is right in front of us. The coming out of the cocoon, so to speak, is about to take place. And there's these huge questions that are looming over every one of us right now. The most important, I think, being what will you become as you emerge from this moment in time? Because we've been asking these huge questions. Listen, over the quarantine, we spent a lot of time talking about, like, what is God doing in this moment? What do we see him moving and shaping? What is he trying to accomplish? And how is his church aligning themselves with what God is doing in this quarantine season, in this season of fear? And so we've had all these conversations, and, and the questions have been coming, like, hey, 
these big picture questions are coming up, like what are our lives actually about, right? We had to slow down enough where we got a chance to even ask the question, what are our lives about? And what kind of pace do we really wanna live at? And what do we truly value? And what's truly important, right? All these issues kind of got brought to the surface. And so those questions that we've all been asking about this time while we've been in this cocoon, they'll get lost if we don't press as the world begins to open back up, if we don't begin to ask, Lord, what was this time about and what do you want us to become as we emerge? What do you want of me in this moment of time? What are the things that I'm not supposed to go back to? What are the things that I'm supposed to press into that I had not seen or felt or known before? And so that's what we're gonna do over the next few weeks here at the church is we're going to explore what the scripture has to say about when God puts you in the hidden place and we're meant to re-emerge or to come out, what's supposed to happen in our lives. So if you have a Bible, you can go to 1 Peter chapter two. We'll throw it up on the screen for you to be able to see it. You guys at home as well can follow along with us. 1 Peter chapter two, the apostle Peter makes this incredible statement over his people about who they are and what they're becoming. And he says, 1 Peter 2 verse 9 says, but you are a chosen race. Now, I don't think it's any accident. I love this scripture because God's looking at every person under the name of Jesus and saying, hey, I want you to know I'm building a completely new race and they're all unified. I love this under my name and my blood. It's so powerful. And so he's saying, I've, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood. You're a holy nation, a people for his own possession that you may proclaim. So he's saying, this is why he's done all these things. You've been made a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. You are a people for God's possession that you, so who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. What Peter is saying to the people is, listen, God's aligning you and drawing you out and organizing you and making you a people for this purpose, that you're going to become worshipers, proclaimers. He says, all of these, the reason that I've pulled you together is for this purpose, that you would proclaim the excellencies of Jesus, the one who called you out of the cocoon and separated you out of darkness and into marvelous light to be seen, to be heard. And so part of God's design without question is that in this moment, as we emerge, that we become more of a worshiper than we've ever been before, right? More. And so what does that mean? Let's unpack what that actually means. Well, first, without question, what does it mean to actually be a worshiper? First thing, worship is not what we do. It's who we are. Worship is not something that we do. It's certainly not an, just an activity that we accomplish on a Sunday morning. Worship is who we are, right? Worship is when we center our whole lives around someone or something and that at our core, that it sits at the core of our affections and it becomes the primary thing we 
pursue. Worship is actually about what's happening internally inside of us. It's not just the act of singing. I, and listen, singing and emoting and connecting, those are things that we do, and that's certainly a part of worship. But worship is actually about the treasures of our heart, what's actually going on inside of us. Worship is about what we deep down inside truly love and value. And so everyone worships something. The, the reason is because we were fashioned in God's image. We were made forever to be worshipers. And so everyone worships something, right? Maybe it's a sports team, or maybe it's a hobby, or maybe it's a spouse, or maybe it's a career. It might even be yourself. But everyone will worship something because we were made by our maker, by our creator for worship, to, to glory in something, to get excited about something, to be lit on fire, right? That's what we all want. I don't know any, I yet, have yet to meet anyone that's like, I'm, I'm pretty good. I just want to be a blase life. If you could just sign me up for like mediocre minus two. Nobody's looking for that. Nobody's asking for that. Everybody's going like, hey, I want to be lit on fire. I want to be excited. I want to be moved. I want something moving inside of me. The problem is, is sin is what messed worship up. We were made to be worshipers, but sin entered into the equation. What sin did is sin said, God's not the object of your desire. Stuff is. The things that were created. And that's what began to change. And we lost the understanding of the value of the beauty and the majesty and the grandeur and the greatness of the king of the universe. And we missed it. And we started pointing to a hundred a thousand God substitutes. It's the best way we know how to put it. God substitutes. And every one of us is in that wrestle for the God substitutes in our life. In fact, one of the best articles I've read in a long time, I read this past week from the Gospel Coalition by an author named Becky Pippert. She wrote this article and here's what she said. She said, how, the, actually the title, in fact, the title of the article is Talking Sin to a Culture That Doesn't Believe in It. And she was raising the question, how do you address the issue of sin in a world where everybody's going, there really isn't sin, just I, you, you do you and I'll be me and we're all good. And there are no absolutes. And so we don't believe in the issue of sin. So how do you even talk about that in the culture? And, she, and so she gets into and begins describing that you don't have to even use the word sin because everyone feels the weight of the God's substitutes that are failing. That every one of us has pursuits of God's substitutes, whether it's relationships or roles or money or whatever it is. And we'll talk through a few of those in just a moment, but we'll all have things that we'll run after. We'll all have things that we pursue, these God's substitutes, and none of them ultimately satisfy. And she begins to describe these interactions she's having with people who are in, in deep pain. She's literally talking about an interaction she has with her hairdresser. She's getting her hair done. And her hairdresser just had a, a, a relationship that fell apart. And the relationship was their everything. And she's talking about these God substitutes saying, this has become your thing of worship and your everything. And the person that was doing her hair said, you know what, that's exactly what my mate said to me is that you're looking to me for everything and I'm getting swallowed up, I can't do it. 
So we'll go after a hundred, a thousand different God, God, uh, uh, um, what did I call them? God substitutes. Thank you. We go after a thousand God substitutes and they can't hold up. They can't hold up to the desire that is in us. And so we're looking for things that give us identity and purpose. We're looking to be totally understood. We're looking to be perfectly loved. That's what every one of us actually wants. And the word that the scripture uses to describe this is called idolatry. And so she says, I don't have to, in the, in the article, she says, I don't have to actually even talk about the issue of sin, but what I do talk about is idolatry because we all feel that. We all feel the weight of the things that fall through. And so the whole of our lives are now this battle for worship. What are you and I worshiping? If we're made to worship and we're all worshiping something, then the grand question this morning is, what is it that we're worshiping? What sits at the centerpiece of our heart? What is it that makes us feel worth and value? Because what we worship derives where we find our worth. Our worth and our own value is going to come from the thing that our heart worships and adores. And that's a dangerous place to be if we worship a God substitute, an idol. And so you'll see in Colossians 3 where uh, Paul is looking at the church and he's saying, I'm gonna call you to put to death in you, or if you will, put it into the cocoon, the thing that needs to go away and die. And he talks about the many, he talks about many different things, sexual immorality, and he talks about uh, uh, evil doing, and he talks about, but he says, covetousness, which is idolatry. He literally names it. He says, this is the thing that in us has to go and die. And of course, this is so much of what's ha- been happening in this season where we didn't have all the franticness anymore and the constancy of the world going on around us and the hustle and bustle, we had to begin to ask the question, where is it that we actually find our worth and value? Because there's so many things that we chase after. And so in this season, as we begin to come and emerge from the quote unquote quarantine cocoon, the question is, where is our worship? What is the thing that stirs us? And what are the idols, if you will? What are the idols that begin to pull from our worship in the Lord. And I wanna outline just a few of those and then we're gonna land this thing pretty quickly. A couple of things and I wanna just help define that. One, items, having stuff. This is one of the easiest things for us. We find worth and value if we get more stuff, if we have more things that we've acquired, whether it's money or possessions or stuff. And like, we can all acknowledge it's not wrong to have things, nor is it wrong to enjoy things. But so often in our culture, we literally make our, we'll talk about the possessions we have as our worth, right? You've heard this question a thousand times. I wonder how much she's worth. I wonder how much that CEO is worth. We literally ask the question and their value or the way that we think about them is based on how much they make or how much they own, or how much they have. It's one of the most easy ways for us to find ourselves. If we don't have, you know, I'd say especially here in Williamson County, if we don't have, trying to keep up with the Joneses, if I don't have this, I don't have that, then I'm not worthy, or I don't have value. It's a worship issue. It's a worship problem. It can be. Duties. Secondly, duties. Where what we do defines what are our worth and value. So if I do well in school, 
or if I get the promotion, or if I have this job, or if I have this role, then I have worth and value. If I have this kind of uh, uh, income, th these are the things that will define my worth. And our worth is derived from what we can accomplish and do, which has, again, been pulled, uh, in many ways, pulled from us in this season. Others, those who can make us feel like we have worth, we're searching for people to make us feel, right? Relationships are incredible. They're great gifts. I thank God for relationships and marriages and children and friendships and all those things. But if we find our identity and our security and our purpose in these things, then we're going to find ourselves sliding into the peer pressure uh, trap. People pleasing, codependency, fear of man, just it becomes a struggle in our worship. I have to be valued by someone. I, I could speak to this one personally. This has been a lifelong journey of mine of wrestling with need. Hey, I love to be loved. It's, it feels great. You want people to think you're great and think you're awesome. And, but what you do is you find yourself shackled to it. It's great to have connections and relationships and great friendships. But if you're shackled to what someone thinks about you, listen, it could be devastating to you. It could be devastating. It could be, hard. it could be devastating to a marriage when you put a spouse on the pedestal, right? Spouses, they ought not to be on the pedestal, right? Children can often be our idols, right? Kids, let's just be honest, man. Kids are horrible gods. They're bad, right? They just make bad idols. If your world is revolving around your children, let me tell you, that God is jerking you every which way. All right, you may or may not want to go, right? This is the truth. Kids are amazing, right? Spouses are amazing, but when you put them on the pedestal, you'll, it'll consume them and it'll consume you. We can't do it. Especially, uh, additionally, in our country, we struggle with our looks. If I, I have to look a particular way in order to be accepted, if I don't look this way or if I don't look that way, we see it all the time in our culture, right? Listen, I'm, listen I'm, I'm not talking. Hey, it's good to be clean. All right, take a shower. I said, be clean. I'm not, that's not, it's okay. It's okay to get pretty. Listen, it's okay to wear makeup. I'm not, I'm not, we're not against any of that. All right. I, I actually think it's funny that it's the, la the ladies who are naturally prettier are the ones wearing the makeup. It should be the, du the dudes are the ones that they're the uglies. They're the ones that we should be makeup, maybe putting the makeup on. That's just my two cents. I'm, I'm not putting makeup on, but I'm just saying. All right. The dudes are the ones with the problem in the nation, not the ladies. Okay. But, but seriously, our worth and value often comes if I don't look this a particular way, then I don't think I have any worth or value. It's the easiest thing. It's not a self-esteem issue. This is a worship issue. What is the treasure in our heart? Where does it come from? And I want to finish with this one, our struggles. Now this, this will sound weird to you. But so many of us actually worship our fallen past. That the, the places where we have been wounded from our dysfunction, from our addictions, from our failures, from our lack, we so identify with those that we become that thing. And we, we literally can revolve around our own brokenness, our, our own in ways even we were made victim. There may have been someone that told you you're a failure or they said to you, you're a mistake or you're never going to amount to anything and we'll look in the mirror and agree with them. Hear this, that is worshiping an idol. It's not true. It's not what the word of God says about you and about me, but we'll live in our past and it will 
kill us. It's a worship issue. So I don't know if you could pay, could you put all those up on the screen just so you can have this? All right, items, duties, others, looks, struggles, ID. Oh yeah, we got it up there a couple times. <laughs> I-D-O-L-S. All right, these are the things that drive us often, drive our worship. And so here's what I wanna do. I'm gonna land. We've got just a few minutes left. Here's, I wanna give you just some practical wisdom from the word of God on how, what does it look like for us to practically worship? How do we worship all right, because it's one thing to say, yes, we're meant to become worshipers. It's an entirely different thing. Like, what does it actually look like in my everyday life? What does it look like? 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. We'll put it on the screen for you. 2 Thessalonians 2. Three core ways that are outlined here in this scripture. It says, to this end, so Paul's saying to the church, to this end, we always pray for you that our God may make you worthy of his calling and may fulfill every resolve for good and every work of faith by his Power, so that the name of our Lord Jesus Christ may be glorified in you and you in him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. So here's what the scripture's saying. And he outlines it. He says, if you wanna worship, do this, listen. Believe in the worth that God has proclaimed on you and do good. If you wanna know what it looks like to worship, to be a worshiper, Wake up in the morning and say, God, have your way and help me do good. I'm ready to be partnered with you and what you want to do. This is the, right? I love worshiping together. I love lifting our voices together. But listen, worship is who we are. So it's time we say, hey, God, you've called me. You said, you've called me worthy. So I want to step out to do good. Secondly, here's what it says. You do all these things by God's power. Meaning this, if you want to worship, then let's lean in to God's power. Now, we literally just came out of a season where it's entirely possible that the only thing on your agenda was making sure you brushed your teeth for the day, right? That's the only thing you had written down. Brush my teeth, that's it. Quarantine. I would just put it this way. Brush your teeth by the power of God. Lean into it. I don't care how little it is. I don't care how big it is. If you want to become a worshiper in this season, it's God, I'm leaning into your power. You may have a huge sale, sales meeting or sales thing that you're trying to accomplish at work. Lean in and say, God, I can't do this, but by the power of God, I don't want to do this. You don't know what it means to practically worship God. I'm leaning into your power, whatever it is in my workplace, in my church, with my family. I wanna do this by the power of God. I wanna lean on you for your grace over my life. And then scripture here says, finally, very practically, if you wanna worship Jesus, make the aim of everything you do to glorify God. God, I wanna, I wanna bring glory to your name. One of my favorite conversations I've have, I'm having right now is with my daughter. And she loves basketball, she's playing basketball. And we've had these, gotten had these cool conversations where I'm like, we gotta do basketball. Because I remember how I did basketball, it was all for me. I said, you don't wanna do basketball for you, it's empty. You wanna do it to the glory of God. She's going, how do you do, does basketball and the glory of God, is that, a, is that even a thing? And I wanna say, absolutely. 
You dribble, but you do it to the glory of God. God, this dribbling is for you. Da, 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 da. She's doing these drills. Da, 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 da. Between your legs, for the glory of God, like whatever it takes. This is why this is so important because you can go to work and bring glory to God. Your workplace is not separate from church life. It's all mixed in. We're worshiping Jesus. It's this call on our lives that no thing will stand in front of him. There will be no thing, not my, not my relationships, not my looks, not my job or my status. All of those things will serve you. I want to bring glory to you. I'm getting ready in the morning for whatever. I'm going to bring glory to you. I want the aim of my heart to bring glory to you. You guys stand with me. We're going to finish this. So here's what I want to do, just in, in closing here. I want us to lay down whatever idols we may have right now. So whatever thing that your heart beats for, maybe it's one of the things that I listed off, maybe it's something else. But it's a, it's a poor God. It's a poor God substitute. It's not worthy of worship. And we're gonna just sing one quick chorus. And as we sing this, I just wanna encourage you to lay it down. Just name it before the Lord. You don't have to say it out loud. Just between you and Jesus, say, I'm giving this to you. I'm laying down this idol and I'm believing the Lord, you're making me a worshiper and no thing, no person will stand in the way of the worship that you're due and worthy of. Because when we worship him, every relationship and everything and the ways that we look at all serves him. All the things that could be a real blessing become a blessing when we worship him first. Let's declare this. Let's sing this. Let's lay our idols down and trust him.